So good morning and welcome to this place. Good to be in the house of God. I dream of a church being a happier place than anywhere on earth, that Disney World would have nothing uh, on the house of Jesus Christ. I thank you for being here. Good to see you. And as we get going today, I wanted to know, what is one of the hardest tests you've ever taken? Think about this. Anyone remember ACTs, SATs? I remember staying up one night as a grade schooler because there was a standardized test coming the next day. Remember your driver's test? Anyone brave enough to admit they failed the first time? Imperfect people are welcome here. It's all right. (laughs) For me, though, it was my sophomore year of college, and it was uh, Western civilization. And I had a professor who gave tests so hard that when they were being passed out, people started crying. Like, you know it's a hard test when there are audible sobs as you're trying to... And the reason there was crying is because he taught history and and the the questions could be so broad as to say, and I'm exaggerating a little bit, but what happened in Europe from like 1500 to 1900? And you would just have to mentally mind dump everything that he ever taught on and and try to get right. And the the golden answer was trade increased. That's all he wanted to hear. But but all these other events that that took place and... and, and Oh, my goodness, it was hard. I still remember studying for those tests. Hour upon hour, cramming that information into my head. And my head is such that I could cram stuff in for about two days and then it's gone the next rest of my life, right? I consider other hard tests that our world's grown accustomed to. I consider the Navy SEALs. And maybe you've heard it, it's hard to become a Navy SEAL. I was thinking of some of the tests they have to do. And there's something called drown proofing. Sounds like a lot of fun. Drown proofing. What they do is they tie your hands behind your back and your feet together, and then they throw you into a pool. So here you go. And with your hands behind your back and your feet tied, you have to bob up and down. You have to do like 30 minutes of exercises. Have to swim like a merman or mermaid. I don't know, because you don't have the legs to like do the kicking, uh, right? And, uh, and that's what drown proofing is all about. It's such a hard test that unfortunately sailors have actually lost their life doing this test. I don't have to do it. We've come to the house of God and and something we know about God and we talked about before is he gives tests. And sometimes I wish that God would let me know when it's going to start and when it's going to end. Like if I had like a bell that I woke up one day, your test is going to begin, Dustin. Don't worry, it'll be done in an hour and a half. Right? But is your experience like that? Does he let you know when it begins and when it ends? No! And then you consider, well, how do I even prepare? I don't know when it starts, don't know when it ends, don't know when it takes. How do I even prepare? And that's what we want to talk about a little bit today. How do we prepare for what I believe is the hardest test that God gives us? And let me share with you what I think is one of a part of the Navy SEAL training. That I believe the Navy SEAL test of God is uncertainty. See, he he doesn't tie our hands behind our back or our feet together and throw us in a pool. What he does is he puts a blindfold on our eyes and a block in our brain so that we cannot see and we do not know how it's all going to work out. And then he says, trust me. I know you can't see. I know you don't know. But trust me. Trust me that at the end of the matter, I will still be standing with you and you're going to be okay regardless of the details. Trust me in this test. It's a test that he gave to a man named Abraham. You remember Abraham's story? Anyone? Abram? Christians in the building. And uh, I remember when God first showed up to Abram, and what did he say? He said, go, move. You think of all the uncertainty. Where am I going to? Where am I going to live? What's the land look like? What are the people like? What are my neighbors going to be like? I don't know. What did Abraham do? He moved. He went because God told him to go. Another time, um, he had a, a son named Isaac when he was 100, and God showed up to him and said, you know, the son I gave you, I want him back. 
Can you imagine the uncertainty? God, you kind of, you know, you promised me a large nation. I heard like stars in the sky and sand on the sea. Uh, God, you know, I'm already 100. It's going to be a while till I have another one. And by the way, I'm kind of fond of this one, you know. Um, but what does he do? He approaches and he's about to give back. And don't worry, God didn't want a child sacrifice. He, he never asks for child sacrifice. He's actually a God of love who if someone needs to sacrifice, he sacrificed his own son, not us. What a good God. Anyway, um, but, but no, he passed the test. He passed the test. And because Abraham passed the Navy SEAL test of God, he actually made it to the Hall of Fame for Christians. Do you know there's a Hall of Fame for Christians? It's a closed Hall of Fame, though, um, because it's a chapter of the Bible. It's Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews chapter 11, you heard what Abraham did, and you heard what Moses did, and what David did, and what Sarah did, and Rahab did, and you hear all of these people. And, and above the entryway to the Hall of Fame, if you want to be a Christian, is this one verse that if you want to enter, if you want to be like these immortals, you got to have. Well, here it is, Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. Faith, when you're blindfolded, takes off the blinders. Uh, faith, when you have a brain block, takes away the block and again sees us at the other side and we don't know all the details, but it sees us with Jesus doing okay because he's still with us and this is what faith does. Now, does anyone else want this kind of faith? I want a preparation plan to pass the Navy SEAL test of God. And by the way, you're in the place where we prepare. Do you know that? See, church has gotten a bad name in times because it's an imperfect place. And I get that it's an imperfect place. It's filled with imperfect people. I'm probably the leader of the imperfect people. But anyway, um, church is a great place because it shares and it gives faith. Because here we investigate the word of God. And the Holy Spirit does something with it to give you joy and peace and perspective and faith that you cannot give to yourself. Here is a great place to again be renewed and refreshed and strengthened to pass that test. So welcome to the church of God. And today we're going to get into the word of God which, which he uses. And uh, so we're in the series on Jesus and uh, man, it's just, it's just fun looking at the stories of Jesus. I mean, all of God's word is good, but they should all be about Jesus and uh, we have today a story that every disciple recorded in their gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all said, wow, there is something significant when Jesus fed 5,000 people. Anyone ever hear this story before? Raise your hand if you've heard it before. It is so significant, right? And, and what we're going to see in, in the middle of it is a test of faith. We're going to see that in the very middle of it, he was calling his disciples to trust in him. We'll see if they passed or not. But uh, today we're going to look at Mark's account of it. And because we don't think it's just Mark speaking to us, but we do believe God is actually using this miraculously to speak into our hearts. In honor of the word of God, I'm just going to invite everyone to please stand as we dig into the word of God. So here it is from Mark. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported to him all that had been done and taught. And we'll talk about what they actually reported. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves into a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. It reminds me of you ever wanted to escape your children and just get some rest and they don't let you do it. You ever, you ever been there? Right? Um, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd though, he had compassion on them. 
Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Here's the test. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And we know it's a test based on John's account. In John's account, he, he was asking Philip, he, and it says he asked us only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. He's setting him up. Goes on. They, they said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. What in the world? Are, are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Well, how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, that's interesting, because actually what they did is they stole a boy's bag lunch. They didn't find anything. They just said, give me your lunch. Oh, we have five and two fish, Mark says. Then Jesus directed them all to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up into heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave to his disciples to distribute them to the people. And we don't know if it was made more um, before he handed them out or as the disciples were distributing. And they just, wow, there's more, there's more. Wow, amazing. Well, they all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Has anyone ever created a meal for 50 people? Can you imagine 5,000 people just feed five? Oh my goodness. Well, before you sit down, can you turn to the person next to, to you and sell, tell them, you gotta have faith. Gotta have faith, faith, faith. Gotta, okay, give me a seat, give me a seat. Gotta have faith. We live in an age with increasing knowledge about emotional intelligence and what the mind really needs. We live in an age where there's increased emphasis on self-care, of how to recoup after an exhausting or maybe an emotionally draining experience. In fact, one of the interesting TED Talks, I often go to TED Talks, uh, came from a guy named Guy Winch. And, and Guy Winch, he, he's pictured here. He, he, this was the subtitle of his talk. He said, why we all need to practice emotional first aid. What he described is that in our society, we often focus on the bodily need and bodily hygiene. For instance, you might have taught your children how to brush their teeth, right? Whether they do it or not, I'm not sure. But anyway, you teach them this is what you do and this is where you should go and brush the gums, right? You know, we, we have those lessons. We teach them, you know, what to eat, what not to eat. We teach them to exercise all of these things. And so he made a point saying, shouldn't we also teach them how to overcome certain things like loneliness or rejection or failure or rumination? You know, sometimes uh, he, he's a psychologist and he gets a bad name, not a real doctor, he says about himself. Um, and people will tell about depression, well, just get over it, it's all in your mind. Well, he said, well, imagine if someone had a broken leg and you turn to him, well, just walk it off, it's all in your leg. And so he says, we need to practice emotional self-care. How can we recoup and be resilient when something affects our minds? You know what I love? Is that before Guy Winch ever came on the scene, Jesus was a trendsetter for emotional self-care. Jesus was practicing this even as he walked around. In fact, what we learn about Jesus' walk, what he would often do, uh, look at this, Luke says, he often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. He was a trendsetter in all these good things of what it was to have emotional rest, to pray to the Father, to get recuperation. And in our lesson, 
He and the disciples need some emotional recuperation. Can I tell you the story behind the story? I'm going to tell you anyway. That's how this works. What had just happened is that they heard a report. You know, all the things the disciples were reporting. They had just heard that John the Baptist, their buddy, their friend, on the same team, they had just heard that he had been beheaded. Now, what happened, uh, there was a dancer for the, the, the leader, Herod, and the dance was so good that Herod said, I'll give you whatever you want. And this young lady did not ask for ice cream. Coerced by the mom, asked for something morbid, said, can I get John the Baptist's head on a platter? Well, that actually took root. In fact, there are paintings about this. You can go to the Chicago Art Institute and you can find a painting. I, I chose not to put it on the screen for you. You're welcome. But that had just happened. John the Head's Baptist on a platter right before him. And to say that Jesus and John the Baptist were close is an understatement. They were on the same team, working for the same thing. And what I love to know about Jesus is he wasn't just a hard charger where nothing phased him and he just kept going because obviously he was the Son of God. No, he had to pause and collect himself and talk to the Father about what had just happened. He withdrew often to lonely places and he needed to pray because life was hard. And that's what we see him offering also, not only to himself, but his disciples. You know, he, he first, uh, based on Matthew's account of this story, when Jesus heard what had happened, this is John the Baptist, what happened? He withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place. That's Matthew's account of the feeding of 5,000. Back to Mark, what, what did Mark say? Come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. What, what he had done for himself emotionally, he wants to give to his disciples and he wants to give to you and to me. He's the same Jesus that says, come to me if you're, if you're weary, if you're burdened, I can give you rest. And that's the first takeaway. Rest is something Jesus wanted for himself, for his disciples, and for us. He wants rest. He wants peace. He's a good God. You know, it kind of reminds me, I had a sister in the Czech Republic, and when they get sick and when they get tired, they have a great solution. They actually get prescribed to go to spa towns like Carly Lovari, and they get to drink mineral water and stay at a resort, and that's actually like doctor's orders. Here, here's a picture of the mineral waters in Carly Lovari. I'm like, this is a great way to get rest. I want to be sick in the Czech Republic. Yes, please. But what I believe is that Jesus' offer is able to offer even superior rest than that. And so if you've come in here with some emotional distress, whether it be rejection, loneliness, rumination over all the wrong things, I believe he has a solution. The powerful word of God can release our minds. We've been taught here at Amazing Love to whenever we feel something, is there a Bible passage that answers that feeling? That if I feel rejected, I can hear that God chose me even before the creation of the world. That if I don't feel competent, I can find my competence in Christ. When I don't feel strong, I, I find my power in the one who is perfect in my weakness. Yes, Jesus is able to give rest for all that we go through. And, and what led him to, to give this rest, I believe, was a heart of compassion. And compassion is on the rise in our society, too, with all the anti-bullying messages. I was wondering, is anyone going to turn on the Oscars tonight? Anyone going to watch... That's not many, by the way. Okay, let's watch football. Uh, but, but one of the movies being nominated um, is this movie, Lou. 
And it's about a monster who is formed from the lost and found. And he's teaching the bully JJ on how to be nice. See, that Lou monster will not give JJ back his teddy bear until JJ gives back everything that he stole to everyone on the playground. And teaching what it is to be compassionate and kind. And JJ gets some some good feelings. He gives one thing back, gets a hug from a girl on the playground, feels pretty good. Compassion is good. And when he's given everything away from the lost and found and learned the lesson of compassion, he finally gets his teddy bear, which is sitting at the very bottom. Pretty good. Well, before compassion became cool, back to Jesus the trendsetter, Jesus was the one who knew what it was to have compassion. And one of the verses I absolutely love is that when he was, and we know where he was emotionally already, but no matter where he was, look what happened. He, he saw the crowd and he had compassion. The Greek word I just love saying, which is splanknizomai, just rolls off the tongue. And it's this idea that he felt it to his innards, his core. So we translate, his heart went out. He felt it so deep when he saw these people. And he wanted to help them. And compassion was found in Jesus. You know, it's compassion that can compel him all the way through his ministry. Compassion that led him to the cross. And the cross is the source of true rest. That cross says that I can approach a heavenly father because I am forgiven. That cross is where justice and mercy met. Where God could be just and punish every sin but be merciful and forgive every sinner. And I have rest and you have rest. We have mercy from a holy God. And even if you don't consider yourself a Christian, if you're just joining Amazing Love, this rest, I believe, is for you. God wants you to know you are at peace today with the Heavenly Father. So what do we learn about the rest? Compassion led Jesus to win our ultimate rest. But logically, some of you are sitting there and saying, Pastor, that was all great and such, but how did this correlate with the Navy SEAL test of God? Well, I have news for you. I haven't forgotten about it. And what we need to ask is, what is the correlation then between the faith that God wants from us and the rest that is able for us? Well, what is the correlation between faith and rest? Let's let's dive into that a little bit. Um, You ever been panicked? When's the last time you had some panic? Um, for me, it's whenever I get around the Metro. Does anyone ride the Metro uh, regularly? Anyone get on? Anyone ever been on the Metro? How about that? There we go. And if you've ever been on the Metro, this might have happened. You might have missed your train at one point or another. It happened to me after a Cubs game where I missed the 10.30 train and I had to take the 11.45. And getting home at 1 a.m., it kind of breaks everything. The week is ruined, right? And so because if you've ever ridden the Metro and missed the Metro, you know what Metro panic is about. Metro panic is when you're five minutes late and you forgot your quarters and you're trying to chuck them in and maybe you don't even because you think you're going to miss the train and the heart starts racing and you have a cold sweat rush over because you hear the announcement and you hear the bell coming and the bell coming saying it's going to be there and then you practice your best Olympic walk. You ever see walking in the Olympics, right? You know, and that's what you're doing because you have metro panic, right? That's what we do. Well, I believe that panic is a similar experience that we can all have. And panic, I believe, is what happened to the disciples in our lesson. Not because of the metro, but because of the question that Jesus asked them. It was a question behind the test. And what Jesus asked them is this. He said, you give them something to eat. Ah! There's 5,000 people. How in the world are we going to prepare a meal on the fly for 5,000 people? Ah! 
And we see that expression in what they say next, right? They say that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread to give them to eat? What in the world? And so they just stole a ba- boy's bag lunch. Here you go. Ah! And, and as I was reading the word of God, have you ever wondered, what would it have taken for them to pass the test? Because I don't think they passed it. What do you think, as Jesus, we heard from the other gospel that he was testing them. What do you think he wanted to hear? This is what I believe. I know he set them up asking, what are you going to give them? I think they should have paused and been like, no, Jesus. What are you going to give See, I heard something about you, Jesus. I've been walking with you for a while. I heard that you were the fullness of the deity in bodily flesh. I heard that you were the Messiah. I heard you're the creator God. I heard that at your voice, everything sprang into being. I, I, I remember when you opened the eyes of the blind. I remember when you cured leprosy. I remember when you rose the dead. I, I remember, I was at this wedding, Jesus, and remember what you did with the water, right? It turned into wine. So what are you going to do, Jesus? And if they would have done that, they wouldn't have been, ah! If they would have done that, if they would have turned it over to Jesus, they would have had reason for rest. But they didn't do it, and so they were left with panic. And panic happens with any area that you haven't turned over to Jesus. And so let me ask you, Christians living 2,000 plus years later, what makes you panic? Is it maybe the world your children are growing up in? The state of Illinois. Ah! Did you hear about the bomb they created in Russia? The economy, what's going to happen? I'm just waiting for the stock market to tank, right? Got a taste of it a couple weeks ago. It's going to happen. My job. Kids, I got school tomorrow. The teacher, ah, the test, ah. And so what I believe today is a day of, is a day of repenting. And let us today repent of every area that we haven't already turned over to God. Where is he asking you to turn that area over to God? Because you already feel bad anyway. Why not handle it and and use those bad feelings to bring it to God and say, you got it. I'm just going to sit here because I'm going to trust that you got it. And don't worry, I'll do my part. But but see, Lord Jesus, you got to be there for my kids. I can't always be there with them. Do you know that, parents? I just want to remind you again, on behalf of God, you can't always be by your kids. You can't safeguard them from everything. You can't sanitize their lives. You can't stop them from failure or rejection. You can't do any of that. So what are you going to do? Are you going to sit here and say, God, you do it? That's what he's offering today. About your job and finances. Are you going to continue to operate like it's all up to you? I got this. When God is offering for you today to say, no, 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 God, you got this. And I'm going to do what you call me to do to the best of my ability, but I'm going to understand that finally the creator God is in control of everything that happens at my job. And everything that happens on the team and everything that happens at school, I'm going to turn over all those areas to you, God. Doing my part, but you got them. And you know what the result could be? Rest. <laughs> Rest. I was reading the word and I was in Isaiah and I came across this word as, as I was preparing to preach. It said in Isaiah, See, this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. And the one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Who is that stone? Do you know his name? 
It is Jesus. It is the one who is able to handle the problem of 5,000 people to feed. It was the one who was able to handle uh, the state of things even when he was crucified, even when he died. He is the one who rose out of a tomb to remind us he has got this. And he is looking for our trust once again. He's looking for us to put our futures into his hands and our kids into his hands and our jobs into his hands. Even Illinois in his hands. I can't control the election, Lord. I don't know what's going to happen, but you got this. Right? And that's the correlation between faith and rest. See, sometimes we think I can only rest when I get to the other side of the matter, when I see how it works out, when I'm standing in that place where my mind finally knows and my eyes finally see. But I say you can rest now if you have faith. You can rest now if you have faith. That's, that's the correlation. Rest doesn't come on the other side of uncertainty. It comes now if you just have faith. If you're willing to say, Lord, I, I, know, I, I don't know all the details, but I know I will be standing close to you. You will still hold me in your palm of your hands, and I'll be okay because I have faith in you. You got this. And our opportunity really before us is, is to be amazing. Anyone want to be amazing? It's better than mediocre, isn't it? But you know, amazing can take two forms. You can be amazingly bad at something. You know what I'm saying? I was was watching a kid's cooking show and I saw the two forms of amazing. Uh, I was watching, there was a sweet girl named Peggy. And she had amazing personality. But she made an amazingly disgusting cupcake. The, the, the challenge was to make a savory cupcake. And, I, and if savory means gross, she did it. Uh, she filled it with onion and guacamole icing and butternut squash. That is a horrible cupcake. In fact, as the judges were trying to be nice, saying, no, good job, you know, and smile, you know, being nice. Uh, she even said, you know, I thought my cupcake was disgusting. Right? But then there was another kid. Oh, and he had the other kind of amazing... He fried some dough, which is always a good start. And he put some cherries on it, the cherry sauce. And the dough was so warm that the whipped cream he put on it started melting and oozing. And there were just layers of fried goodness with cherries and whipped cream. And that was amazingly good. Right? When it comes to Jesus, what are you going to be? Are you going to be amazingly bad? possible. It's possible. You can make a guacamole, onion, butternut squash cupcake. And, and he, he can be amazed by it. In fact, he went to Nazareth and he was amazed at a lack of faith. He went to his own hometown and they didn't trust, they didn't think he was the Messiah, they didn't think that he got it. And so, wow, this, this is amazingly bad. And, and I think he can forgive you if you're amazingly bad. I think he can even hold you, but I'm not sure you're going to have a ton of rest if you're amazingly bad. What if we were amazingly good? And that was a centurion. Remember the first lesson? So the centurion who didn't come out to meet Jesus, but rather said, Say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes. That one, come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And what is Jesus' response when he heard this? He was, can you say that word? He was amazed. And what was the essence of his amazing faith? It was turning to God and saying, no, 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 it's not about I got this, it's about you got this. And that's the amazing faith, the last point for today. It's one that proclaims God's got this. 
And can we just say it out loud one more time? Let's say this yellow part. We just say, God's got this. And he used a rationalization. He said, you know, if I can command people, maybe you can make a command that will change my world. And I love those rationalizations in the Bible. There's another one that says, if I'm a parent who wants to give good things to my kids, maybe you as a perfect parent will continue to give me good things. And I love the rationalization. Maybe if 5,000 met with Jesus and they left satisfied and filled up, maybe the crowds who gathered today could leave today feeling satisfied and filled up because they came to meet with Jesus and he wanted them rest. And maybe the one who climbed out of the tomb, his arm is not so short to help you with anything that is going on right now. How do you pass the test of uncertainty? You turn to God and you say, God, I'm going to do what I can, but I'm going to understand you got this. May God so bless you with such a faith. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this is easier to preach than it is to do. Oh, sure, that is true. But Lord, as we're facing many uncertainties in this room, would we understand the rest that is possible as we turn over to you what that is, as we say you got this, and I'm still going to do what my role is, but I'm going to understand you're in control. Lord, give me the peace that passes understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.